Well, welcome to Rum Doings episode 52. I don't know whether John's already spoken with you. If he hasn't, this is the beginning of Rum Doings episode 52 as a podcast. It's a bit strange this week. That's because of the snow, I'm afraid. We've been snowed away from each other, which means that we couldn't meet this week. So instead of using something ghastly like Skype, we decided to simply record each of our own halves separately and without consulting with the other what exactly we would do next. So here I am, all on my own, with a slight cold. You'll have to forgive my slightly croaky voice today. Also, I'm afraid I have a terrible microphone, which seems to be producing all sorts of horrible analog noise. It's not a proper USB microphone. It's an old-fashioned plug-into-the-jack mic, and it seems to have lots of little weevils crawling up and down the electrons. I'll try and get rid of some of that terrible effect, but uh, in getting rid of it, it'll also sound like I've stuck my head down the toilet, so you can't win everything, can you? And John may have already introduced a topic, or he may indeed introduce a topic later. If he doesn't, today's topic is, why, oh, why have the Russians stolen our football? And that also proves, I think, the evening that I've recorded this, because that is indeed just what's happened. Now, I really don't know what's going to happen over the next 20 minutes. I suspect I could ramble on. My wife was worried that I would start having a long, dark midnight of the soul and possibly commit on-air suicide or something. I don't think I'll do that, because it would be tawdry. And I imagine it's also been done before. I would be very surprised if it hasn't been. Uh, I'm not sure whether iTunes would allow such a submission, but uh, nevertheless, it's probably worth searching for just so that you can say that you've experienced the audio death of somebody online. I shan't be partaking of that this evening, if you don't mind. I have things to do. Uh, As I said, I do have a quite unpleasant cold um, brought to me courtesy of my daughter. If you do have a daughter, or indeed I believe a son, and sons are worse because of course they're made of slugs and uh, snails and, uh, and puppy dogs' tails, none of which is particularly hygienic, whereas, of course, all things nice, sugar and spice should help quite significantly in keeping down the infection rates, as we know. Sugar and some spices have antibacteriological effects, and I cannot see how all things nice could include the sort of viruses and bacteria that make my voice go like this. And yet still, she gives me a cold, so I imagine that old rhyme is not, in fact, scientifically accurate, and there must be something more in her than sugar, spice, and indeed the totality of niceness. I know she does not contain the totality of niceness, because I've seen what happens um, when she sneezes, when she has a cold. What is ejected is far from nice. What shall we talk about today if we're not going to talk about how the Russians stole our football? Well, we can talk about uh, something very interesting, which I had looked at earlier on this year and hadn't bothered to um, catch up with what had happened as a result of what they achieved. And let me uh, summarize what that was. There's a website called Kickstarter, and this is where artists or small technologists or people with an interesting idea put forward a funding proposal, and if you are interested in that proposal, you give them some money, and if they make the funding proposal, in other words, I'll say, we need $10,000, if they raise $10,000, then your chunk gets taken off your credit card, and depending on how much you give, you sometimes get gifts. For example, if they're making recording a CD or something. You might get a copy of the CD if you get give them enough money. You might get invited to a concert, that sort of thing. You've probably already heard of Kickstarter or something similar to it. It excites me because it's a small and early manifestation of something that I've called democratic patronage, by which I mean that rather than producing our culture through very expensive middlemen who then put tons of onerous restrictions on that culture, we will help to fund and produce the culture that we as the people who participate in that culture desire. Now, I think Kickstarter is a slightly artificial, slightly early beta test of a more organic process that I see, to use the terrible phrase, going forward. However, it's interesting some of the early results that they're getting. And this is the example I want to bring to your attention. 
Somebody called Muse Open, which I don't think is a particularly nice name for a project, but there you go, they chose it, decided that it wouldn't be good to record classical music and then release those recordings either into the public domain or through a good um, Creative Commons license. Now, stop for a moment and think what a good idea that is. Most classical music, certainly the classical music that's made before, 20th century is now in the public domain. Sadly, uh, the Disney Corporation and their equivalents haven't quite managed yet to enclose and privatize that part of our culture. Don't worry, I'm sure they're trying. For now, though, that music is in the public domain. You can record it, you can play it, you can print scores of it, you can do what you want with it, and nobody can stop you. However, if you take existing recordings of that music, especially music that was made in the last 50 years or so, that recording isn't in the public domain. So you would still have to pay license fees, there would still be restrictions and so forth. So there's a difference between the work and the manifestation, the recording of the work. And what Muse Open wanted to do is that they wanted to record as many pieces of classical music as they could, and just release these pieces of classical music into the ether using a liberal license or indeed straight into public domain. Now that's a brilliant idea because it allows so many people to use that music in ways that otherwise they couldn't. Independent filmmakers, educationalists, people who just are interested in doing interesting things with the music, remixing it, sampling it, um, learning from it, scoring it, all those sorts of things that at the moment are restricted and restrained. And it's an idea whose time certainly has come. I've been wondering for quite a few years now why nobody has done this. Why has no orchestra done this off their own bat, I wonder? Uh, and I, I think I, I have the answer why. Let me just take a quick swig of water, lest my voice go completely. <clears throat> the reason why they haven't done it, I think, is because they're afraid and also they suffer from false consciousness. They're afraid that, of course, if they record music and just distribute it out there under a very liberal license, this will somehow lose the money that they would otherwise have from recording traditional CDs and selling those CDs and getting their minuscule cut from the sale of those CDs. Now, I hope you notice I use the word minuscule because for an orchestra, the money that they make from CDs, certainly the average orchestra, is indeed minuscule, if anything at all. 95% of the orchestras of the world make their money from performing and from having people sponsor them and from having people attend their concerts. In that sense, then, the recording of the music is their promotional material. It's the material that gets people interested that allows them to begin to love their sound and to say, good heavens, if they sound that good on a recording, I'm certainly going to attend one of their performances when they're next in town. If you do not have that sort of promotional material, then you probably won't realize that they're any good, you won't build any particular loyalty towards them, and when they turn up to town on a cold and dreary night, you won't bother going out to see them, and you won't pay the entrance fee, to do that, which will probably end up being more than the small amount they would have got from the CD, which they haven't sold you in the first place. Now, imagine if a, an orchestra did something very bold instead and said, what we're going to do is we're going to release all of Bach's Brandenburg Concerti, we're going to release all of Beethoven's symphonies, we're going to release um, a full suite of Faure, we're going to, um, uh, even so, our soloist is going to play uh, as much Debussy piano music as possible, and we're going to put it online, it's high quality um, FLAC or WAV files, you can download them, do what you want with them. And if they were really brave, they would say, do what you want with them, even if you're a commercial entity. If you want to include them in a game, include them in a game. If you want to put them in a film, put them in a film, all we ask is that you give us a credit. Imagine the orchestra who were brave enough to do that and think what would happen next. Uh, they would gain a very good reputation, firstly, and rightly so. They would have their music listened to and usefully critiqued by thousands of people, perhaps even millions, who otherwise wouldn't even know 
they exist. And more interestingly and more importantly, if people freely can get this sort of music and it becomes known that this music is easy to get free and you won't have the FBI knocking on your door if you download it and listen to it, a whole new generation of people will suddenly be able to learn that this music exists and learn to appreciate it. There's a crisis in classical listenership at the moment in that younger people are simply not attending these concerts. They're not listening to the music. They find it is alienating and stuffy. So an orchestra is trying to sell its CDs to an ever-diminishing number of older people and the younger people aren't attending their concert. Why has not one enterprising orchestra been able to say forget all our prejudices and our fears let's jump in let's do it i'll tell you why not it's because they suffer from self from from false consciousness no matter what i've told you tonight and how persuasive it is and no matter how logical my argument is the average person in the average orchestra will still say i i i, I don't want to release my work after all, um, I won't get any royalties from it. Who knows what will happen with it? Forgetting, of course, that they're pretty much not getting any royalties anyway at the moment and that the imprints of the music labels are closing left, right and centre when it comes to classical recordings. So let's forget that side of things rationally, but emotionally they're still tied to the old system. They still believe that there's a lottery ticket out there with their number on it and one day... John Williams will say, hey, we're recording Star Wars for you. And somehow, between the recording of this mythical CD and John Williams turning up and saying, record the Star Wars theme, is is a path to glory. Don't ask me how it works, but there's this general fear of the, of change and fear of, let's remind ourselves, returning to the way music used to work. There was patronage, there were performances, and that's how you made your money. So, what can we do to change this mindset? Well, News Open are a very interesting group of people. They said, rather than trying to change the mind of these orchestras, we will simply pay them to commission, uh, them, commission them to play a piece, and we will determine and we will tell them what license we're going to release it under. We'll pay them as much as we would pay them if they were recording a normal, a normal CD, perhaps even more. And some orchestras, no doubt, will refuse it, but there are enough orchestras out there who need the cash and who will do it. So Moose Open said to the Kickstarter project, come on, guys, anybody out there? We'd like to, um, we'd, we'd like to raise $11,000. And, of course, the thesis would be nobody is going to give that sort of money to a speculative organization like this who wants to produce free culture. What happened? At the end of the funding drive, they received seventy, nearly $70,000. In other words, nearly seven times what they'd bargained for. And that was on one project dipping its toes into the water. With that $70,000, they can record some very interesting music already and release it into the open. What's particularly interesting about that is... They're going back to people and saying, thank you for donating. What would you think about subscribing so that you could donate a small amount of money every year to get this bandwagon rolling? Can you imagine that if every year they got funding, after 10, 20 years, they will no doubt have recorded all the great works of classical music if the orchestras were willing to do it? And that work would then be out there and available to enrich culture without any of the peculiar encumbrances that are usually put upon one when one tries to use a recording from the what has become traditional copyright-infested way of doing things. And can you imagine the parts of the world who suddenly have access to these recordings, who can't simply go onto the iTunes store and pay a dollar to get half a track of half a Brandenburg concerto? Can you imagine different cultures who are quite interested in Western music but simply do not have easy access to it, suddenly having good quality recordings to it, the best that are available to anybody? This is an exciting project, but it's just one of many that are percolating under now that are beginning to 
make a real difference to how we see our culture and how we interact with it thanks to the networking effect that online media provides. And this is something I predicted some some years ago in a, a paper I wrote called, um, called When Metaphors Attack. Uh, you can go and visit, read it at IP, that's short for intellectual property, ip.cream.org. If you just put your web browser there, you can read it. And it talks about some of these ideas, the history of copyright, and it, how perhaps inauspicious it was, uh, and uh, what we can do about developing it for the future. Uh, and these are just some of the projects that are doing just that. And I think it's really exciting, and you should visit it, and you should probably give them your support. Now... What else has been happening in that realm? Well, I just read today that another group of people are looking to um, buy a satellite. It's going to cost a bit more than the music. It's going to cost $150,000. On the other hand, I think they should be able to rein it. What do they want to do? Raise it, I beg your pardon. What do they want to do with this $150,000? I'll tell you what they want to do with this $150,000. They want to buy a satellite from a company that's just gone bankrupt. The satellite is able to pump very high bandwidth internet anywhere on the planet that they want it to. For this money, they'll buy it. They'll move it into an orbit where it becomes useful to provide internet to people all over the world who simply cannot get it at the moment. Isn't that incredible? And isn't that cheap, actually? $150,000 is substantially less, substantially less than you would pay for... Uh, about, I don't know, five or ten minutes of an episode of House. And for that you can change not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of people's lives in the developing world. Now, I approve, <coughs> I beg your pardon, I approve that there is a project that is attempting to raise this money in this crowd-sourced way, as they say, and I hope they do it. But let me ask you a question. Where in hell are the billionaires of this world? The Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gates, the, uh, the, the people who produce Google and Facebook and Twitter and so forth. Where are these people? Why is it that they're very keen to pretend to throw their money around in big lumbering projects like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which, for all the good it does, Frankly, it shouldn't even be doing the things it does. Those are the things that every government in the world should be doing. You know, curing malaria isn't something that Bill Gates should be worrying about. What Bill Gates should be worrying about is spending a, a minute proportion of his money on cool things like buying redundant satellites, like funding interesting technology projects like this. And yet, <clears throat> very few of the these very rich people seem to be doing cool, interesting things with their money, leveraging their money in interesting social ways. They give to big, lumbering charities. They do their philanthropy in a way that seems peculiarly apt at dissipating their money in ways that are uninteresting. Now, that's not to say that curing malaria or anything like that is uninteresting, but forgive me for being cynical. I don't believe that Bill Gates is going to be the one to do it. I'm glad to be proven wrong. But I don't think I will be. So if he's not going to certainly spend a lot of money trying to do it, but also have a look around and find these more interesting, quirky little projects. You know, if you're a billionaire, why not suddenly say, you know, <clears throat> for a fraction of my money, I could get almost every piece of classical music out there into the public domain. I could get a satellite moved so that very poor people suddenly have access to the Internet. I could do all these very interesting things, and it wouldn't even make a dent in my pocketbook. So that's something that I've been thinking about today, and it is odd. I hope in the very unlikely event that I become a billionaire one day, I, I will be a little bit more interesting with the way I spend my money. But there you are. I was going to discuss a lot more, but I noticed we were already getting up to 20 minutes. One thing that I will say in closing is um, an interesting point that came up today in discussion with my old friend Martin Coxall, who, of course, was once on this podcast. And he'd spoken to one of his colleagues, and he'd mentioned in a slightly wry way, he'd said, oh, that was the bestest present I ever got, or something like that, bestest. And his colleague rather po-facedly said, 
bestest isn't a word. Now that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? X is not a word. And Martin came to me and said, what does a coherent and semantically obvious set of letters have to do to not be a word? In other words, if you can understand its intent, you can understand the grammatical rules that have produced it, when is it not a word? Perhaps some people would say when it's not in a dictionary, but we know that that's a very limited uh, description of a word. Um, and let's look at the word bestest. Okay, um, It's obviously a slightly jokey word. It takes the superlative best, and it does a meta-superlative operation on the word to make bestest. And it does it more amusingly, of course, because the word best is an irregular superlative. It's not goodest. So we're not saying goodestest. We're taking a, an irregular superlative and adding the regular superlative ending, est, and making bestest. We all know what that means, my bestest friend, and so on. Why is it not a word? Maybe because anything slangy or irregular or agrammatical shouldn't be considered a word. Is it agrammatical? Well, one part of looking at whether something is grammatical is whether it follows rules in its construction. Certainly it's a solecism, but it follows rules in its construction. And funnily enough, it's been in the OED for some time. The OED also cites a 19th century source for it, where somebody talked about how it is indeed used in parts of British dialect at that time, almost officially of the dialect that one would say bestest, as a kind of hyper-intensifier. Interestingly, it had also been used, I look back, in Latin. Certain classical writers had used the Latin equivalent of bestest in their writing, in a, perhaps a kind of jocular way, the, the very most best that they could be, perhaps. So it's interesting that one, one might think one's being pedantic when one says, there's no such word as bestest. But in fact, you can bat that pedanticism back at them, as I hope we did today. This also brings up another point, in that people often say to me, you're pedantic, um, you're very strict about what you'll allow as part of your um, linguistic catalogue, but that's not quite true. For example, I'm very happy when people use the word use for plural, or y'all, so they say use all when they mean more than one person. That's perfectly rational, it's following a very good and ancient grammatical rule. Indeed, English used to have this before it stopped using thou and people have naturally filled in the gap. Similarly, when people use double negatives, like I ain't not going, that's perfectly okay in my mind, because it's used consistently, it's part of dialectic, and many languages, in fact, use that officially. Uh, no problem at all. So, I certainly have no problem with people who take grammar and bend it to their needs. I would merely say that it probably behooves one to learn linguistic rules sufficiently well so that you know how to break them elegantly. Learn the etymology of a word, find out where it's come from, so that you can help to know where it is elegant to let it go. Um, it, it, it's a bit, it reminds me a bit of what Picasso said. He said, it has taken my whole life to learn to draw like a child. Now, when we first start speaking, we have the privilege of doing all sorts of things with language. We are a tabula rasa. We can join all sorts of constructs together until eventually it simmers down into a grammatical construction. And indeed, grammar is no more or less than the way of putting language together such that other people can understand it, which seems a fair enough thing to do. And um, it's interesting to think that those who rail against it cannot rail against it because if they wish to be understood, they are de facto using grammar. Um, and once you're, once, once you begin to grow up, you begin to appreciate some of these rules that have subconsciously formed your ability to communicate to others. My only argument would be, why leave it subconscious? Why not figure out the rules? Why not find out why some of those rules have changed and whether some of them shouldn't change and others should? It seems to me a peculiarly um, uninterested and uninteresting sort of person who is happy to remain unconscious or to allow to run on automatic all these things that are part of his or her communicative toolkit. 
<clears throat> but then again, I find it peculiar that people are prepared to use computers without even knowing or having some understanding of what's going on under the bonnet. It just seems to me that you're not all human if you're not investigating and un unpinning and indeed finding out what underpins everything you are and everything you do. And frankly, I think that's probably what philosophy is. It tries to find the underpinnings of everything else and the assumptions and the rules, and that's probably why I read it at uni, I suppose. Um, so that's my rambling over for this evening. I hope that you enjoy what's no doubt going to be John's far more interesting and humorous take on the affairs of the world. If you've already heard him, you'll already know. If you haven't, you're about to. Good evening, and thank you for listening. Hello. I don't know if I'm going first or second, so I have no idea um, whether I should introduce this or whether Nick's going to... Nick's arrogant enough to introduce it, actually. I'm sure he'll he'll assume that I'm not allowed to, that he's in charge, and so he'll have done that. But just in case, just in case he said the same thing at the beginning of his about me, um, we can't get together this week because um, uh, Nick's wife and child are sickly and he's too lazy or snow-ploughed to drive to see me. And um, I couldn't get to London this week. It was impossible for me to get to London this week. So I couldn't go to see Nick um, at all, even though I was in London today. Nick's furious with me. But I was in London today for a reason way better than seeing Nick. So that's good. So the idea is that we're each going to record 20 minutes and stitch it together. It's an idea we stole from Collings and Herring. And, um, and because I hate Nick and in everything I do is pretty much about upsetting and annoying him, I've decided to cheat and not do it on my own. So I've brought in the very often mentioned uh, Laura from... Hello. Rum Doings fame. Hello. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rum Doings fans. Yeah, they're so, our fans are amazing. You should see them. <laughs> they go in there, they have conventions. It's like every year they call, they call, they call themselves Rummers. Rummers. Rummers, yeah. Um, and then they, they um, meet in big convention halls once a year. <laughs> What kind of doings do they do? <laughs> they get, what they do is they get together in the big <laughs> convention hall. There's about, I don't know, I would say it's about, it's not, you know, of our, readers, of our readership and listenership, I would say it's only about 5% that would consider themselves actual proper runners. Um, uh-huh. And so it's only about, I'd say, ten to 15,000 people who come along to these events. Mm-hmm. So they come along and they're wearing like their, you know, their Rumdoings t-shirts that they've made, <laughs> they've ho ho made at home with their crayons, and their um like their Rumdoings hats, which are obviously very popular. What do they look like? I they're haven't like, seen those. They're like cracker hats. Yeah. But they're made of rum labels. Rum <laughs> Yeah. Like the Tesco Value White, white that, Rum. The hardcore rummer will wear those. That's a beautiful, beautiful label. Um, and. And then I'm going to stop move this rustly bag away from my foot so I don't rustle it the whole way. Um, and then they get together, like I say, 10,000, 15,000 of them in a big convention centre. And they just sort of, they do rum tastings. Mm. And then they'll have like, uh, kind of cosplay. They'll, see, they'll dress up as me or Nick. <laughs> um, and the one who's best dressed up best as me or Nick wins a special prize. <laughs> what if someone were to dress up as half you and half Nick? That would be amazing. <laughs> Do you think so, like, which like half... Two Face in Batman, so they turn one way and have a different face yes, than the or other. Yes, like John Travolta and Nicolas Cage and Face Off, maybe. That's not. They don't wear both faces. Oh, they, at once, no, of do course, because they, they, they. I've they never seen Face Off because it's got John Travolta <laughs> and Nicolas Cage, in it, which is like. <laughs> well, we watched the worst cast you could ever have. My housemate and I watched the end of Con Air. Oh my goodness! Last night, yeah, and she says it's her favourite film, and she's a very lovely Christian girl. Yeah, and Con Air is her favourite film. Uh huh. Uh, no, it's, no, sorry, it's not her favourite film. It can't be her favourite film. She's it's, got but it's, reasonably but she good likes film it taste. very much. Uh -huh. And um, it's horrible. It's quite. I don't like it because it's quite violent, because I'm a Namby Pamby girl. Uh -huh. And um, obviously it has Nicolas Cage in. Being it's a, weird because you're, so you're so violent toward me. <laughs> but it's weird that you're not into violence on, <laughs> on film. And uh, why, was I, why was I telling you about this? I have no idea. I can't remember now. Oh, that was it, Face Off. And she was saying that um, she really liked Face Off as well. She does, does And she? I said I'd seen it when I was about 15 and it was so traumatic I couldn't, I couldn't continue watching it. What, um, because of the faces coming off? Well, yes. I'd like to watch very... John Travolta and Nicolas Cage's faces, <laughs> faces being peeled off. off. That would be a good movie. Um, so, if, so if someone uh, were to 
come half dressed as you and half Nick, which yeah, which half would best um, represent the pair of you? See again, I just I think my Two Face from Batman reference is better, but you're now going to say who's Two Face, and then you're going to say who's Batman, aren't you? <laughs> Who Batman is? He's the one with no superpowers. That's right. Yeah. He's a very basically he's an incredibly rich fascist who um, is just goes around. I heard this amazing point made recently um, on that oh, thing. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. What's his name? Pete. Uh, Peter Rollins. Pete Rollins. I remember it because he's not Rollins Hen- or Rollins. Rollins. Rollins because he's not Henry Rollins. Okay. That's how I remember his name. And what was the point he made? He made the point that. But if Batman wanted to effectively fight crime in Gotham City, yeah. then he shouldn't dress up as a Batman and go around beating up like one or two criminals a weekend. But mm-hmm. he should invest some of Bruce Wayne's billions of dollars into local education projects and and um, opportunities, youth centres, and just kind of invest into his community and help those as children before they go into crime. And that way he could affect sweeping change to Gotham City within, within a generation the city could be transformed. Makes a lot of sense. However, that wouldn't really tackle his... That's the other thing, I guess, is that... Because the reason... You, you obviously know the Batman origin story. What did you tell us? Tell, tell our listeners the Batman origin story. <laughs> well, tell, there was guess, a man... Guess what the Batman origin story there is. There was a man... Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was a scientist, because often often they are. Um, uh-huh, all yeah. scientists are crazy, Yeah. Um, as we well know. Um, and this man, um, he was doing an experiment one day, um, where he was trying to, um, teleport himself from one side of the room to the other, <laughs> yeah. and a bat flew in the way. You've somewhat confused and this so he with became fly, half man, half bat. But he hasn't got any superpowers, so how would he be half bat? Well, what superpowers would you have if you were a bat? Well, you'd have sonic hearing, and oh, you'd true. get a but fly, for instance. How does he find out what's going on in the city? How does he find out what's wrong? Well, Commissioner Gordon be... puts a bat signal into the sky. And says, oh, a bat, of Or he'll, course, like, yes, fly about in his bat plane or his bat copter. So he doesn't, have, he doesn't even have the special above. hearing, does he? No, he's got nothing. See, he's got no abilities. See, that would be so much better. See, the reason he's Batman is because when he was a kid, he always murdered his parents were murdered in front of him isn't that like um, that other guy Dexter it's similar to the origin story of Dexter so Dexter is Batman Dexter is essentially no he's not Dexter's nothing like Batman Dexter's uh, better and we're not talking about my cat here we're talking about the TV show my cat's origin story is far less interesting no nobody cares about that really no um so something that's concerning me right yeah. now <laughs> you're introducing topics now are you you're getting a bit cocky no but this is something I was just listening to episode 51 uh huh um, I think it was in that one. I could be wrong. Many people will. It, it rarely happens. But you get, um, they'll get 10 or 15,000 emails about it, this. It could happen that, it, that I am wrong. That, um, you I would, thought I was wrong once. It's never happened. But it turned out that I was right after all. And so I was wrong thinking that I wasn't right. But it, I turned out that I was right, so it was okay. Shh. Can they hear that? Shh. Can they hear it? <laughs> can they? Can the snakes listening can the, hear that? Can the audience hear that? See? Ah, you said, uh, he's a Rum Doings reference. <laughs> um, yes. It's almost like you care. <laughs> almost. My concern is that um, you were talking about how you, you now interact with Nick in uh, permanent podcast mentality mm-hmm. because you do so many podcasts well, with him. Face to face, you... I say. Yeah, face to face that happens. On the phone he behaves abysmally and on instant message even worse. Well, yes. So, but, yeah. um, and, and, and he suggested that... Um, that it would be um, inappropriate, I think. Well, you suggest it'd be inappropriate if uh, we were to relate with each other like that. And here mm-hmm. we are now doing a podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, so. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to record all of our conversations and all of our time <laughs> together and put it out on the internet the next day. <laughs> That's my plan. Yeah. And. Yes. So, what was it? What did he said? If, if we were to have an intimate moment, <laughs> an intimate sound, moment, it would sound like a podcast recording. That's right. If Nick and I would have an intimate, that's the problem. That's what's happened. Is Nick and my intimate moments are ruined now? And what do your intimate moments normally consist of then? Sort of making out more than anything. Because I've been there during your intimate moments, and they normally consist of Nick eating anything you've got in the house that doesn't belong to me. Anything that belongs to my housemates. And. Um... After he's been explicitly told, that's mine, don't eat it. 
like having it's like a, it's like a a starving child who's been living on the streets for weeks hasn't had a meal for ages has, has somehow broken into your house and is just ruffling through all the cupboards trying to find anything he can just stuff into his mouth that's what it's like having Nick over it's unbelievable <laughs> I was going to make some comment about how he was the size of a uh, starving child however he's not he's not and it's not very fair because he's been very encouraging of late of of uh, of me and my running yeah um Yes, which I haven't done for a while. He said he, he sang to me the other day. He needs to give you a call and tell you off about that. Yes, well, I've had. A Fortunately, cough and... he doesn't know your phone number yet, <laughs> so it's probably for the best. I've had a cough and I've been ill, and I don't think it's good to run in cold weather when you have a cough. Um, so that's why I haven't done it. Although I did run today, um, as I left my meeting, my science meeting. Yeah. Um, I ran back to the car. Um, with heavy boots on and things like that. What's so. the best science that's ever been done? <coughs> Just to stop, prove, I do have a cough. Stop coughing. Um, the best science that's ever been done. Um, I think um, that. Oh, <laughs> there we go. There we. Wow, that was some. That was some big bars on the thingy. Oh, there. Can I tell people about that? That's gross. That is gross. There was nothing on my hand anyway. Oh, oh no! Hey, my clothes on the floor. <laughs> Don't make it worse than it already was. We could have oh. got away with it. It's all going wrong now. It's gonna, that's going to be a nice noise for everyone to Does listen to. Does this happen to. when you record with Nick? No, because I'm not allowed to sneeze when I'm with Nick. He gets, really? Very, he gets really angry you if just I explode. sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> what happens there? I just have to hold it all in and wait for the end. <laughs> I think the best science that's ever been done was um, when uh, Batman. Became a, became a bat. You need to. I'm going to make you watch The Fly now as a punishment for this conversation. <laughs> I watched the beginning of The Fly. Once. You never have. I have because my dad is a real sci-fi nerd. Uh huh. Yeah. Hi, you dad. Hi, dad. Your dad will never listen ever listen to no, this. No, let's hope not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, the best. I don't know what the best science. There's so much science. How can how can one? What's the best coloured science? The best coloured science is obviously purple science. Uh huh. Yeah. What's the best smell you get from science? Ooh, it's um, that nail varnish smell. Yeah? Yeah, that's the best. I actually have to use nail varnish in some of my science. Do you? Yeah. Is your science doing people's makeup and nails? <laughs> no, although the conference I was at today, they were explaining how they, um, they were doing something with these uh, micro uh, capillary things and they were able to make like a, a mini experiment like an experiment you'd get in a test tube but in a single droplet so you put all your, the reagents and things that you want to like you want to see about protein crystallization for example i often do um you, you put it all into this one droplet of water uh, or oil i think it was oil so that it would form a droplet um and uh I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, you're the worst <laughs> at this ever. I'm the worst at this podcasting thing. Um, Awful. I never Oh, that was it. I remember. I remember. No one cares. No, I remember. They do still care. It was about makeup. Um, and she was asking people how... She was asking the people in her lab. The lady who was giving the talk was asking the people in her lab, who are obviously the monkeys that do the work, um, how it was that they'd developed this system. Very, was that a racist comment? Very saying that they're all uh, no. people of colour in her lab. No, and Sarah and I... And you call we them call, monkeys. <laughs> we call ourselves... Is pet, that what you do? We call ourselves pet monkeys because we're just the the gimps that do that. Oh, gosh, it's getting worse, isn't it? That you, that you're the spicks. <laughs> um, you're the wetbacks. Are there any other racist terms you want to use? With the Oh, I can't believe that. I can bleep that out. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I have to bleep you. Well, oh, my you goodness me. me. Um... Yes, so, um, they were... I can't believe I'm going out with a racist. <laughs> of course you are, yes. awful. No, you were the one who brought it around. I was talking about the, um... I can't believe you were, you were giving racial slurs against the your animal colleagues. The barely paid immigrant workers you forced <laughs> to do your science in your lap. You don't have barely paid immigrant workers. While you around in your hot air balloons. No! No, no, that's what Nick does, isn't it? Yeah, so no, if we don't have um, immigrant, barely paid immigrant workers. Oh, you, you refuse? Are you saying that you refuse to employ anyone who's an immigrant? Is we that have, what you're no, saying? No, that's not true. Sarah's an immigrant. We have, um, <laughs> and so was um, the other colleague I work with as well. I don't think um, Portuguese, Germans, Germagees, Germagees. She does count. Counts. She, of course, she counts. Um, we have poorly, poorly paid students. That's what we have. We don't have immigrants. 
When you say um, poorly paid, do you mean unpaid? Do you mean interns? Yes, they are in- interns. They're <laughs> unpaid. This is not why I am not the boss, though. So um, yeah. they're not. It's not like I employ them. But they're all white, nothing. right? You only employ white students. That's not true, actually. We had one girl from Israel, an Israeli background. You had a Jew. A Jew, yes. A Jew, a Jew. doing science. Yes. It's ridiculous. Um, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> do you know what that is? What's that? It's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> That's what that is. Well, you shouldn't you have been running <laughs> running the media? You find them doing all things now. Do you? I tell you, there, there was a there was a mechanic. There was a fantastic mechanic that I used to go to to take my car. Uh-huh. Um, and I was talking to him. He was a, a diabetic guy, and we were talking about you hate diabetes. We were talking about his diabetes from the island of diabetes. And, um, yeah, hush now. And um, he said that um, <laughs> he said that uh, he was asking me what I did. I think they, somehow they knew already that I was a Christian. Um, I think oh, he, you're not another one of those bloody Christians. He tried to ask me out on yeah. a date. He was about in his sixties, and he tried to ask me out uh-huh. on a date over the weekend. And I said I couldn't go because I was going to church on Sunday. But thank you very much. <laughs> and um, good excuse. I'm going to church on Thursday. Later on, he was asking me about <laughs> what I did uh-huh. for a living. Yeah, and I said I explained that I was a scientist, and, and he said, "Oh, oh, you're a Christian doing science." Oh, oh, he said, uh-huh. "Well, you know." These Christians, well, they they do all sorts of things now, don't they? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, uh, as do diabetics. <laughs> That's very funny. Almost. Uh, it was funny. Almost, <laughs> almost funny. There. Did you have to be there? Had to be it's there. It's funny because no one told me. It just seemed unfair <laughs> that I had to be somewhere. I didn't even, didn't even know you at the time. Well, was, I wasn't yes, told was that I had to be there. Before like I knew you. Ridiculously just unfair. Think if, if things had gone in a different direction yeah. and I had accepted his date offer, yeah. I may well be recording a podcast embracing, with him now. Embracing your gerontophilia. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Well, I'm kind of embracing that with you. But, um... Oh, thanks! That's <laughs> an age joke! It's an age joke! It's I'm going to get a cream tea one in before you finish. Isn't it? <laughs> um, so I still haven't finished it. But anyway. then I won't be able to kiss you. So that... Because <laughs> you're so young. Because <laughs> I'm so yeah. young and youthful. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, the whole point of this story that's got me into a whole lot of trouble was that they... Your racist, anti-diabetic story. <laughs> they were using, it's very much an anti-climax. They were using, <laughs> I was hoping so. I was hoping to build it to the point where it just sounds so awful when you finally say it. Uh, Go on, then. Um, that they were using a, a, an eyeliner, a mascara brush from Boots, to, uh, makeup brush to do their science with. This was the groundbreaking technology they discovered. <laughs> I was trying to capture the reaction of the audience at home. Well, it would not have been such a reaction had you not constantly interrupted me <laughs> and taken me on many different courses of conversation, which I personally find unsettling. And as a Christian, I, I feel lack of closure. As a Christian and a scientist, yes. Would you say that dinosaurs and man coexisted? <laughs> Do you know, I was thinking about this this morning, yeah. with all the snow that we've had here in Bath, yeah. I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking, if um, if you were to have, like, lots of snow, like you would have in an ice age, right, <laughs> and then you would have lots of snow, <laughs> would it be possible that people die? <laughs> Sorry, you reached a level of stupid to which I can only cough at. Would it be possible, yeah, yes. for... Yes. Nick and I never snuggle when we do the podcast. <laughs> Well, we're hardly snuggling, you're slapping me, so oh, if I can. Listen to my science! <laughs> if you were to have a lot of yeah, snow. It's a lot of snow, then, like you have in an ice age. <laughs> like you have in an ice age, yes. snow and ice, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, if, um, if you were to exist underneath the snow, if you were to get trapped, and because like, I was thinking about these people in Scotland at the moment yes. who have like four and a half feet of snow. Uh-huh. Um, if you've got so much snow that you... I was thinking about this this episode of Community where they built this tunnel of pillows and... The fort, yeah. Yeah, the fort. Um, if you were to have so much snow that when you walked out of your front door, the snow was above, you know, street height, it was above, sure, above okay. house height, uh-huh. would people start to tunnel through the snow and make, like, an under-snow community with lights and, right. you know, kind of like a, an, an under-snow network? Um <laughs> like the p- pillow fortress in the uh-huh. community and so then if it continued to snow would you eventually have this kind of community that lives under the ground uh, under the snow and then and if that were to happen yeah then possibly like then the dinosaurs um were on top of the snow and man was like underneath the snow or the other way around maybe this is your... Right? And this is what I was thinking about this morning. Because in the film Ice Age, this happens. 
can you just please say for the record yes. that you're aware that dinosaurs lived millions of years before humans, please, <laughs> before you get fired from any no, size job you'll I'm a, ever have. I'm a Christian, I don't believe dinosaurs existed. They don't exist at all? No, they never did exist. Because that's, if you go to one of the, oh, really, well, my ambitions now is to go to one of these creation <laughs> museums in America. Where what do they have in there? They have Surely just empty boxes. It's a really brief museum. <laughs> no, but apparently their number one goal, I was listening, I was listening to a comedian talk about this um, re- uh, recently, like apparently they all they're interested in is answering that dinosaur question because everyone, everyone thinks to go, yeah, yeah. Well, what about dinosaurs? Um, apparently that's pretty much what they've dedicated themselves to, is showing how dinosaurs and humans coexisted. <laughs> and that's how come. So they're pretty much, and apparently they were vegetarians. What, the dinosaurs? Oh, yeah, even though they had those sharp points. Right. They were vegetarians until okay. Eve ate the apple and then it all went wrong. And oh, really? They, and then they started eating Because it. they were so angry That's about right, Eve's... Furious. Eve's uh, not asking Fall. the apple's permission. That's right. Before she ate it. It wasn't a free-range apple. For Eve wasn't a fruititarian. She didn't wait for the apple <laughs> no. to fall from the tree. But that was, yes, it. I was looking for that word. Uh-huh. I couldn't remember. Um, yeah. Yes, and so the dinosaurs in rebellion against Eve yeah. started eating but who did they eat because if they were only Adam and Eve then there must have been generations of dinosaurs that um, that's why starved they were, that's to death why, that's why they were vegetarians yes but Eve, no Eve and Adam didn't have their children until after the fall yeah. so you know they wouldn't have had like you know a thousand children in one go I, they I may have think. they may have maybe it was a I miracle I think the miracle of the thousand children the in one go. Th- so you know there's a whole lot of dinosaurs there that are going to have gone hungry I suppose they might have eaten smaller dinosaurs of course but um yeah. 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 Maybe they ate Cain's wife, and that's how come we don't know who she is or where she came from, the incestual madman. Well, yes, maybe there was a lot of incest. Yeah, well, they probably needed a lot of cream teas back Do you think? Then. Do you think? What? I what? think possibly. Incest and paedophilia aren't the same thing. Well, no, but they probably would have been one of the same thing if there was such a limited population. <laughs> And dinosaurs picking people off left, right, and centre anyway. So the dinosaurs need cream teas. It's the ice age drew near. Dinosaurs are needing cream teas. That's what happened. Because there's fewer dinosaurs around. And... Yeah, that's that's what happened. Also, like, can you please note that I've got fewer and less the right way around there. That's true. You did. I'm Thank very you. proud of you. Thank you. I can't wait for that not to be a big deal. That's a big deal. I'm, I've I've nailed the what uh, were and. Was, was yeah ninety eight percent of the time yeah now. you're pretty good at that um, makes yeah. you very happy so um, and you're fewer and you're lesses my fewer and you're pretty good with your Jerry with your me's and your my's as well oh my Jerrys yeah now the Jerrys yeah. although people are now going to write in and highlight all every single time in the last twenty minutes that I've not used it correctly I should hope so up your bums be very disappointed you. if they didn't mm-hmm. do you know we've done more than our twenty minutes allotted schedule yes we're the best. You probably have to edit half of this out, though. I just have to bleep like, you saying the N-word. You're just going to have to edit out. For no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't realise you were actually racist. I didn't realise that was actually the case. Can I just, for the record, yeah. I'm not a racist. Are some of your best friends an N-word? <laughs> Is that what you're going to no. say next? Is that what you're going to say next? Some of my best friends are multicultural. <laughs> multiracial. 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 Bicultural. <laughs> Some of my best Jews are homosexuals. Some of my best homosexuals are Jews. Ah, that's excellent. Yes. That's good. <laughs> love you, Nick. Do you love him? Well, yes. If I were to tragically die in an accident, uh, maybe I, and, I, and, and so was Victoria, maybe the two of us were, uh, were, were skydiving together <laughs> and our parachute didn't open, yeah. would you and Nick then get together? Probably not. I'm probably more likely to get together with Craig, aren't I, really, and all? Fairness. Oh, don't let's start introducing other people into this. this. Well, no, well, everyone is going to be begging me to come back and explain who Craig is now, aren't they? Well, everyone on this who listens to this, to Nick's absolute horror. Actually, yes, you're all gamers. Comes from Rock Paper Shotgun. You should know who. And so they all know who Craig is. Not from Rock Paper Shotgun, but from PC Gamer. So Craig, you know. yes. Does Craig ever listen to this? No, not he's a single one of my of my colleague friends ever listen. No one I know listens. Really? Other, my uh, my friend Greg listens. Um, Does Jim listen? Uh, no, he's a podcast. No, person, Jim doesn't listen. No one, none, none of my friends in Bath listen. Kieran? Uh, no, he no, listen. he's too famous to listen. Now, That's right. He's too busy swanning around. Do you know we haven't really talked about the amazing things that you did today? We haven't. Have we? we haven't even mentioned it. We haven't mentioned that. Do you want to mention it and edit it together? I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to. You have to stop now that we've gone beyond twenty minutes. No, I never stop. I never do what I'm told. I never. See, I never Nick edit is, this. Thing. Nick is normally the one to. Every now and then, I have to go and remove Nick saying something so 
beyond libelous. I haven't libelled anyone. That's true, you haven't. Do you want to accuse uh, Rupert Murdoch of anything? That's, please don't actually do no, that. No, I don't want to do that. Good. No. That's good, because that would be the traditional Nick Well, I wonder if he's just on his own. And he's he's maybe, maybe he's just done a 20-minute minute monologue. He's listed everyone he thinks is, is somehow involved in negative minutes. things. We should record 40 minutes just in so case. So we don't have to put Nick's one out. Nick's 20 minutes are just Rupert Murdoch hating. Yeah, so it's unbroadcastable. Yeah, well, do you want to just tell me? Do you know what I did today? Yes, what did you do today? Do you know what I did today? What? No, I don't. Tell me. Well, what I did was I went to London. You went to London? Yeah. Well, that's very good. In snow. to Tower Bridge. Yes. Which isn't the same as London Bridge, and you mustn't get those no. wrong around or they get very cross. And I didn't, and I was very clever for not getting it wrong. Well done, I'm very proud of you. Thanks. And I went up one of the towers in, on Tower Bridge, uh-huh. and I interviewed Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. Ooh. They're famous. Who Tell, tell us who like they are. Like, anyone listening doesn't know who they are. Well... I not, I refused <laughs> But I took, I let, I got my photo taken with him <laughs> because I decided to be completely unprofessional about it. I'm like, he directed Brazil. And um, what was the best? What was your, what was your favourite thing about your day with the famous people? What was the best thing? I liked the bit where that Terry Jones said that my questions are really good. That was the best bit because they thought I was good, and they love me and they want to be my friend. <laughs> Apparently they're going to reform Monty Python with me in Graham Chapman's role now. Yeah? Yeah, that's wow. the plan. you're good. Yeah, they were really like you. They got all, we just really yeah. clicked. So that's all Fair. going ahead. So can you plug your, your, your RPS piece about that? Oh, can well, you, Rum Doings you... listeners don't care about that. No, but most, as most of your Rum Doings listeners are... Yeah, but RPS that's not why they listen to this. They listen to this to hear me. Um, my fabulous wit. And your lovely voice. And My Nick's lovely, manipulous voice. You and Nick both have um, lovely voices. Do you know, most people don't think so. That can be said. Really? They would get well, I'm a singer and... Um, a singer. A singer. With yes. a Midlands girl. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so... Are you from the Midlands? I am, yes. Wow, I'd never have known. And so I'm qualified to, uh-huh. um, to make judgement on the tone of your uh-huh. voices. He's, what, he's got the best Up voice. Up to grade five. Uh-huh. You couldn't be bothered to do the theory. No, I couldn't be bothered with uh-huh. that. Um, who has the best? Oh, well, that's me. You, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because you hate Nick because he's Jewish? Mostly. Yeah, I thought so. We should probably stop now. Okay. We've done twenty-five minutes. Is that okay? Is that loud? No. Oh. I have to edit out five minutes of Nick's now to make it fit. <laughs> that's what I have to do. Okay, we should end the podcast with a big sloppy kiss just no. to make everyone vomit. No way, because I'll be the first one to vomit if you make me do that. That'd be disgusting. I'd like to say a nice thing about Nick because we've been horrid about him all the way oh, through. Oh, go on then. I love Nick, he's brilliant. He's he one of brilliant. my bestest friends and he's funny and clever. He's very funny and very clever. Yeah. And I like him a lot. And I didn't think, I didn't, well, I didn't know whether I would or not the first time I met him because I'd. I Listen to the podcast. I know, no, I don't know. What, I think I was just yes, and and the first time I saw him, I thought he was very lovely. He is very um, lovely, and his lady wife as well, and the little baby. Yes, it's true. It's good. The end. Amen. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming into the studio. That's 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 my pleasure. Okay, can you let yourself out? Yes. Goodbye. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.